Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Today is day 21. We'll be reading part three, Certain Councils on the Practice of the Virtues, chapters 15 through 17. And that's pages 247 to 257 in the Ascension edition of the book. Now, before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we are covering today, so that way you can be on the lookout. So here, St. Francis de Sales finishes up with his treatment of obedience, chastity, and poverty, what we've called the evangelical councils in the context of religious life, uh, the spirit of which we all as baptized persons are called to observe. And fascinatingly enough, he's going to turn to friendship. So if you or I were to list the different virtues that are on offer for Christians in this world, I don't know if we would necessarily choose friendship as one of them because it seems a little strange. It's like, okay, yeah, faith, hope, charity, no problem. Prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, cool, cool, cool. Friendship? Okay, that involves another human being. Does my life of virtue depend on other human beings? So what we'll do in the reading that follows is we'll finish up with some serious counsel on poverty and then we'll turn to friendship uh, and profit from a long history of meditation on the theme in the Catholic tradition. So while we'll hear, you know, some notes of suspicion, generally we'll hear very hearty encouragement for a future filled with fruitful and holy friendship. So let's turn then to the reading, but first let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name, amen. Chapter 15. How to Practice True Poverty, Even When You Are Rich The painter Parhasius painted the Athenian people, ingeniously representing them all together with all their various characters. Irascible, unjust, inconstant, courteous, gentle, merciful, haughty, proud, humble, resolute, and timid. However, for my part, dear Philothea, I would put together into your heart riches and poverty, a great care for worldly goods alongside great contempt for them. Be much more careful to make your goods profitable and fruitful than worldly men are. Tell me, are not the gardeners of great princes more curious and diligent in cultivating and embellishing the gardens committed to their charge than if they were their own? And why is this? No doubt it is because they consider them the gardens of kings and princes to whom they desire to make themselves acceptable by such care. Philothea, our possessions are not our own. God has given them to us to cultivate and wishes that we should render them fruitful and profitable, and therefore we do him acceptable service by being good stewards of them. However then, such care must be greater and more solid than that which worldly people have for their goods, for they labor only for love of themselves, but we must labor for the love of God. Now, self-love is violent, turbulent, and impetuous, so that the care that proceeds from it is full of trouble, uneasiness, and agitation. And just as the love of God is sweet, peaceable, and calm, 
so too the care which proceeds from it, even be it for worldly goods, is nonetheless amiable, sweet, and gracious. Therefore, let us then exercise this gracious care to preserve, nay, even to increase our temporal goods, whenever proper occasions present themselves, and as far as our condition requires, for God wishes us to do so for the love of Him. But take care lest self-love deceive you, for sometimes it imitates the love of God so well that you would all too readily declare that it is the love of God. To prevent it from deceiving you, and to hinder care for your temporal goods from degenerating into covetousness, besides what I said in the previous chapter, we must very often practice real and effective poverty in the midst of all the means and riches that God has given us. Therefore, always give up some part of your means by bestowing it on the poor with a willing heart, for to give away what we have is to impoverish ourselves by as much as we give, and the more we give, the poorer we make ourselves. Yes, God will repay it you again, not only in the next world, but even in this, for nothing so much makes us prosper in this world as alms. However, until God so deigns to restore it to you, you will be always so much the poorer by what you have given. Oh, how holy and rich is that poverty which is occasioned by giving alms. Love the poor and poverty, for through such love you will become truly poor, since, as Scripture says, we become like the things that we love. See Hosea 9.10. Love makes lovers equals. As St. Paul writes, quote, Who is weak, and I am not weak, end quote. 2 Corinthians 11.29 He might have likewise said, quote, Who is poor, and I am not poor, end quote. For love made him resemble those whom he loved. Therefore, if you love the poor, you will truly be a partaker of their poverty and poor like them. Now, if you love the poor, be often in their company. Be glad to see them in your house and visit them in theirs. Converse willingly with them. Be pleased to have them near you in the church, in the streets, and elsewhere. Be poor in tongue with them, speaking to them as one of them, but rich in hand, bestowing your goods to them as someone having more abundance. Do you wish to go still further, Philothea? Then do not consent yourself with being like the poor, but be poorer than they are. How could this be? The servant is less than his master. Therefore, make yourself a servant of the poor. Go and serve them in their beds when they are sick. Serve them, I say, with your own hands. Be their cook yourself and at your own expense. Be their seamstress and laundress. O oh, my Philothea, such service is more glorious than ruling a great kingdom. I cannot sufficiently admire the ardor with which this counsel was put in practice by St. Louis, one of the greatest kings the sun ever saw. I say a great king marked by every kind of greatness. He very often served at the table of the poor whom he maintained, and had three poor men dine with him almost every day, and many times ate the remainder of their food with incomparable love. When he visited hospitals, sometimes he did frequently, he regularly served those who had the most loathsome diseases, such as the leprous and ulcerous, serving them while kneeling on the ground with bare knees, respecting in their persons the Savior of the world, and cherishing them as tenderly as any fond mother could cherish her own child. And St. Elizabeth, the daughter of the King of Hungary, had the habit of associating with the poor and sometimes, while in recreation, clad herself like a poor woman among her ladies, saying to them, quote, If I were a poor woman, I would dress like this, unquote. Ah, Philothea, how poor were this prince and princess in the midst of their riches, and how rich in their poverty. Blessed are they who are poor in this way, for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. To them will the king of the poor and of kings alike say, quote, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. End quote. See Matthew 25, 34 through 36. 
We all know how on various occasions we lack something needed or are inconvenienced. Sometimes we receive a visit from a guest whom we wish and ought to entertain well, but do not have the means of the time. At other times, our best clothes are not available for us when we need them among company, or all the wines in our cellar ferment and turn foul, so that all that we have left at hand are bottles of ill-tasting or green fluid. We find ourselves in the country at some poor village with no amenities, where we have neither bed, chamber, table, nor any to serve us. In short, it is very often easy to suffer for the want of something, however rich we may be. Now this is to be poor in effect as regards the things we want. Philothea, take joy in such occasions, accept them with a glad heart, and endure them with cheer. But if you should experience losses that impoverish you more or less through tempest, fires, flood, drought, robberies, or lawsuits, that is the proper season to practice poverty, receiving such losses with meekness and accommodating yourself to your impoverishment with patience and an even soul. Esau presented himself to his father with his hands covered with hair, and Jacob did the same. Genesis 27. However, since the hair on Jacob's hands did not stick to his skin, but to his gloves, this hair could be removed without ripping at his skin or hurting him. By contrast, since the hair on the hands of Esau stuck to his skin, which was hairy by nature, if someone should have attempted to pluck off his hair, he would have caused no small pain for Esau, who would have cried aloud and have readily defended himself. So too, when our worldly goods cleave to our heart, If tempest, a thief, or a cheat should pluck any part of them from us, what complaints, trouble, and impatience do we not fall into? But when our goods are only held by the care that God would like us to have for them, and not by our hearts, if they then should be taken from us, we will lose neither our senses nor our peace. Such is the difference between beasts and men as regards their clothing. For the clothing of the former sticks to their flesh, and that of men is only put on so that it can be taken off at pleasure. Chapter 16. How to be spiritually rich of spirit amid real poverty. But, my dear Philothea, if you are really poor, be likewise poor in spirit. Make a virtue of necessity and use this precious jewel of poverty according to its worth. Its brilliance is not recognized in this world, yet nevertheless it is exceedingly rich and beautiful. Be patient, for you are in good company. Our Lord himself, his blessed mother, the apostles, and countless saints, both men and women, were all poor. And even when they were perhaps rich, They did not wish to be so. How many great people have there been who, despite opposition, zealously sought holy poverty in cloisters and hospitals and strove tirelessly to find her? Consider St. Alexis, St. Paula, St. Paulinus, St. Angela, and so many others, and see, Philothea, how much more gracious poverty has been to you, offering herself to you so you did not need to seek her out. Embrace her then as the dear friend of Jesus Christ, who was born, lived, and died in poverty, who was his nurse his whole life long. Such poverty, Philothea, has two great advantages, by means of which you may greatly profit. First, it did not come to you by your own choice, but by the will of God alone, who has made you poor without any concurrence of your own will. Now, whatever we receive purely from the will of God is always very agreeable to him, so long as we receive it with all our heart and for the love of his holy will. Where our will is least, God's is greatest. The simple and pure acceptance of God's will makes any suffering utterly pure. The second advantage of this kind of poverty is that it is a truly poor form of poverty. Poverty which is praised, caressed, esteemed, cultivated, and assisted is nearly like riches and, at least, is not altogether a form of poverty. However, poverty that is despised, rejected, reproached, and abandoned is really poor. 
Poor men and women in the world are most often poor in this way. For since their poverty is involuntary, it is not much esteemed. And just because it is not esteemed, their poverty is poorer than that of religious. Although the poverty of vowed religious is very great in excellence and is much more commendable on account of the vow and the ultimate end for which it is chosen. Do not complain, therefore, my dear Philothea, about your poverty, for we never complain except about what displeases us. And if poverty displeases you, then you are no longer poor in spirit, but rich in desire. And do not be downcast because you are not provided for well enough, for the excellence of poverty is found in avoiding such a spirit. To wish to be poor and not to feel the hardships of poverty is too great an ambition, for it is to wish for the honor of poverty with the convenience of riches. Be not ashamed to be poor, nor to ask alms and charity. Receive with humility what is given to you, and bear denial with meekness. Frequently call to mind the journey that Mary, the mother of God, took into Egypt to carry her dear child there, and how much contempt, poverty, and misery she was obliged to suffer. If you live like this, you will be very rich in your poverty. Chapter 17 on Friendship First and Foremost, Evil and Frivolous Ones Love holds the first rank among the passions of the soul. It is the king of all the heart's movements, drawing all the others to itself and making us like what it loves. Be careful, therefore, my dear Philothea, to avoid entertaining any evil love whatsoever. For if you do, you will all too quickly become evil yourself. Now, friendship is the most dangerous love of all, while other loves may exist without mutual communion between lover and loved. Friendship, however, is wholly founded upon such shared life. Therefore, we can hardly be on terms of friendship with any person without also partaking in his qualities of character. Not every kind of love is friendship, for one may love without being loved in return. In that case, there is love, but not friendship, for friendship is a form of mutual love, and if love is not mutual, it is not friendship. However, it requires something more than merely this mutual loving of each other. What is needed, in addition, is that the persons who love each other must know their reciprocal affection, for if they do not know it, they have love, but not friendship. There must be also some kind of communion between them, which would be the ground of friendship. Now, depending upon the various kinds of communion between persons, friendship also differs in kind, and such communications differ depending on the difference between the goods they communicate to each other. If what they exchange are false and empty goods, then the friendship is also false and empty. However, if they be true, the friendship is likewise true. And the more excellent the goods, the more excellent also is the friendship. For just as the best honey is gathered from the depths of the most exquisite flowers, so too the love that is founded on the most exquisite intercommunion is the most excellent. And just as there is honey in Heraclea of Pontus that is poisonous and makes those who eat it insane because it is gathered from the wolfsbane flower, which is abundant in that country, so too friendship founded on the intercommunion of false and vicious goods is altogether false and vicious. Communication in carnal pleasures is a form of mutual inclination and brutish allurement that deserves the name of friendship among men as much as do similar inclinations in asses and horses. Indeed, if someone's marriage were marked solely by such communication, there would be no friendship at all in it. However, because beyond this, marriage involves communion in life, industry, material goods, affections, and an indissoluble fidelity, the friendship of marriage is a true and holy friendship. Friendship that is grounded on communion in sensual pleasure is utterly gross and unworthy of the name of friendship. The same is true for that which is founded on perfections that are frivolous and empty, because these perfections also depend on the senses. 
Now, sensual pleasures are those which are immediately and principally connected to our external sense, such as the pleasure of beholding a beautiful person, hearing a sweet voice, and other such things. And frivolous perfections are certain meaningless endowments and qualities, which weak minds call virtues and perfections. Listen to how the greater part of silly girls, women, and youths talk. They do not at all hesitate to say, quote, This man has many virtues and perfections, for he dances gracefully, plays well at all sorts of games, dresses fashionably, sings delightfully, speaks eloquently, and is good-looking, end quote. And even a hucksters believe that the greatest buffoon among them is the most perfect of persons. However, since all these things regard the senses, so too the friendships based upon them are called sensual, empty, and frivolous. They deserve to be called foolish fondness rather than friendships. Such are the ordinary friendships of young people, which are grounded on stylish mustaches, hairdos, and glances, on clothes, affectation, and chatter. Such friendships are suited to the age of those lovers whose virtues are mere tendrils of early growth, and their judgment only in the earliest of budding. They are only temporary and melt away like snow in the sun. All right, so here we are rounding out the scoring with our description of the evangelical councils or specifically of obedience, chastity, and poverty. And again, just as we saw before, St. Francis can be hard-hitting when it comes to poverty. I think for many of us, that sounds a bit scary, but it represents a concrete challenge to grow in generosity, to be, what we once say, available, uh, to be generous, more simply, when it comes to serving the material poor. So Father Jacob Bertrand, you have some pro tips, some life hacks, ways in which we can profit from St. Francis de Sales Council and grow in this particular virtue. Yeah, poverty, gosh, it's always, it's tough because in, in a sort of like consumerist culture, we're all used to kind of self-soothing with material things. So whether it's like even just enjoying a cup of coffee, which is not a bad thing, that's not what I'm saying, but like, you know, we're used to having, or like sitting on the couch and watching a movie or something, you know, like there, there are the material things comfort us and they give us this immediate gratification. And yet we're called to be detached from that, to, to not rely on those. When we talk about poverty, we can easily distinguish between what we would call voluntary poverty, those who choose to be poor, like religious, you know, consecrated men and women, and then involuntary poverty, where people are poor because of circumstance, whatever, you know, we think of like the poor in, in, the, in that sense. But I like what Father Gregory just said, the word generosity as a way by which to live the spirit of poverty, because poverty is is ultimately about being attached to the right things in the right way, you know, not having idols that are not God, uh, but a spirit of generosity and an actual living of generosity helps to live that sort of detached life, detached from the material things of this world. Yeah, we can use them, but we also, you know, we give from our surplus. We give from what we have, even if it's a small amount, that there's this spirit of, of self-giving. And I guess the la my last point on this is why a spirit of self-giving? Well, because it's an imitation of Christ who gave himself for us. So we don't have to all of us are not going to be martyred or crucified on the cross, but all of us are called to give of ourselves in ways. So um, this generosity, this poverty is a way to begin that, a way to shape our lives around that. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe just some uh, particular applications. I'm thinking about how poverty applies in your state of life. So say, you know, my experience of marriage prep is that often when you pose to people the question, how many children would you like to have? They say a number that is uh, smaller than the number their parents said. Um, 
So, you know, sometimes you have exceptions, but a lot of people, at least when I was preparing for marriage in a particular parish in the middle of America would say two, or maybe if they're the same gender, three. And I was like, fascinating. So that's a concrete place in which we can challenge ourselves to be more generous. Because I think sometimes, you know, parents imagine that they have to give their kids the best of everything, right? The best uh, home, the best clothes, the best education, private education, whatever it is. And they feel like they're unable to welcome another child unless they can provide for those child in the way they know best how, or with a, with a certain modicum of financial security. And I think here are the words of St. John Paul II, who said the greatest richness, right? The greatest gift that you can offer your children is in fact siblings, right? But that requires of us a certain generosity to welcome the Lord's gift and then to give freely of ourselves in the context of the sacrament of marriage. Or, yeah, I think about those who work in the inner city setting. It can be difficult to come across poor people because we just don't know what to do with ourselves because a lot of us aren't well disposed because poor people are poor people, right? They smell and the way they ask you for money is not necessarily the most polite way and the way they show appreciation is not necessarily the most appreciative way. But how do we, you know, how do we go about that in such a way that we don't feel constantly guilty or find ourselves avoiding the routes that we ordinarily would take to work so that way we don't see the same person, you know, by whom we feel in a certain sense shamed. Um, yeah, so there are ways that we can do this well. You know, you set for yourself a kind of poverty budget and you give away a certain amount of things or you offer to buy people food if you're not comfortable giving money in light of what might happen in turn or you carry around granola bars in your back, you know, whatever it is. But at the very least, we greet the people. We, you know, look them in the eye. We come to know their names. We take an interest in the ways, you know, that are fitting to time, place, setting, and circumstance. So I would challenge you to challenge yourself concretely uh, to, yeah, come up with a little poverty plan, ways in which you can live this in your life simply, modestly, humbly, but well. All right. So maybe since we've already talked about you know, poverty, chastity, obedience previously. Let's turn then to the subject of friendship, which we'll cover in this episode and following. But it's a big thing, I think, and it's part of our daily bread as Christians. So how do you broach this conversation when it comes to friendship? I think, gosh, uh, there's a reality in in living the faith that is, or there can be a rea- an isolating reality that, you know, when you think about like... I want to be a Christian and I want to live what the church teaches and what Christ teaches through the church, that that somehow is is isolating. It makes you feel alone. The culture is not always supportive of that. Family friends might not always be supportive of that, those sort of things. Um, and it can lead to this idea that, you know, I'm, I'm doing it alone, except for when I go to church on Sundays and see other people kind of doing it alone. But the reality is, is they give those factors may play in, and I think they do in our lives in certain ways. But the reality is that we're not called to come to God alone. And we're not called to come to God with other people as sort of objects to be used just to help us along. But we're called to come to God together in and deep friendship in a sort of union with another person, with other people, um, because we're not made to be alone. We're made to be together. We're made to share in this life together. And and when we think about the gospels too, this is what Christ does. This is how he calls people to himself. Think of the apostles, think of those others that follow him. Think of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know, they they come to Christ together and there's a real consolation and support in that. So as St. Francis introduces us and then talks about this concept of friendship, it, it makes sense in the context of pursuing the virtues and these sort of things that we would do it together to support, encourage, et cetera, et cetera, um, one another in our pursuit of Christ. So when he begins the conversation, he'll talk about friendship as a mutual love, right? So a mutual love of benevolence and that it involves some kind of union, right? So I will the good of the beloved and then I will union with the beloved and that will is reciprocated. 
But he says that the quality of the friendship is often dictated by the types of goods that we as friends make our common cause. So the friendship is basically as good as your common pursuit or your common life, your common conversation. And uh, certainly in what follows, we'll talk about this more. But here we can just simply say that as Christians, we're seeking to cultivate holy friendships. And maybe when we hear that at first blush, it sounds a little otherworldly. Like, what would it look like for me to have a holy friendship? Does that mean that I have to go to daily mass and ask somebody in the pew next to me if she wants to pray the rosary immediately upon, you know, the conclusion of mass. And then we should subsequently go and have a pious conversation about what we've thought about heaven most recently. Okay. So like, don't, don't worry about that for now, maybe in turn, but I think that we can think about our lives in light of the heaven that is to come. And what will we do in heaven? What we'll worship, uh, not in the sense that we'll all be sitting in pews with our hands folded, but that we'll all be reveling in the Eucharistic communion, which has come to full fruition. So we're going to enjoy each other in the Lord. And I think that we recognize this in certain human beings, that they have a kind of capacity to coax the good out of us, right? They, they encourage us. They might admonish us, but more often than not, it's just a matter of them saying, yeah, like this is what I love. And when they describe their loves, it animates our own loves. So we want to find ourselves thrown in with people who have noble loves and then, you know, expect of that communion that it will be getting us something of the same. So I think that's like, you know, when you approach your young adult group or when you approach your Bible study or adult faith formation, or when you invite people to dinner, you know, you kind of have that in the back of your mind. Not that you're looking to have tortured conversation about hyperpious subjects, but that you're, yeah, you're looking to discover a common good which animates you both. So Father Jacob Bertrand, bring us home for this episode on friendship, maybe a word of encouragement or a word of discernment. I imagine that as we start talking about a, a new topic that St. Francis introduces to us on friendship, it, it would enkindle or inspire in us a sort of what, like self-critique of our friendships, of how we're friend to other people and how other people are friends to us. And um, that's a good thing. I think it's worth considering what our relationships and what our friendships are like as we're reading on in this and how those contribute to our devout life. Um, sometimes we have friends that that don't contribute as directly as we might think. You know, they're, they're just kind of somebody we enjoy. But in a way that there is this, you know, a pursuit of good together. Some might be more clearly, you know, along the way towards God and others might not be. But as we continue on this topic of friendship, don't think of it in the abstract, but think of it with respect to your own life and and begin to take these the advice of St. Francis de Sales um, into your own life, into your relationships, into your friendships, into your time spent with other people. All right. So that's it for today. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in and be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To download the reading plan and to support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. And apropos of friendship, we are always interested in getting to know the digital community. So please join us at one of our next God-splaining events, whether that be a pilgrimage, a retreat, or something else. And you'll be able to find details and applications at godsplaining.org. All right, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.